all men are welcome. You don't even have to be a grown man. You can be a young man, and we'll be glad to have you. All right, let's talk about the hard side of God. We hear a lot about John 3.16, and we should. What's John 3.16 say? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We love to hear about the love of God. I do. I like to hear about the grace of God. I like to study it and realize how desperately in need I am of his grace and how much of it, it, it's just there abundantly for me. I love to hear about his mercy. Mercy is when you deserve to be punished and God says, no, I'm going to withhold that. That's what mercy is. And I, I love his, I love his kindness. I love his generosity. Don't you love those things about God? I love his forgiveness. I love his long suffering. I love his patience. I love the way he forgives and Like when Peter asked him, Lord, should I forgive seven times? What did Jesus say? How about 70 times seven, Peter? Uh, So you get up to 490 and that's it, right? I think that's the math. No, you know that's not what he was. He was saying forgive and forgive and forgive. I love the, the thousandth chance that you get with God. I love all those things. But those aren't the only things that we see in God. We also understand that God, being who he is, is obligated to take sin in hand and render justice when justice is due. That's part of who he is. And if we love God, that's an aspect of his being we must also come to terms with and learn to love that. And if you think about it, don't you love it when justice is done to those who need justice? Aren't you grateful for those who serve in law enforcement? Yes, okay. I, I just, I knew you probably had to think about that. Should I amen that? I'm not sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we want to amen that. You heard that resounding yes when I listened for a little bit because you know, yeah, we do love that. We like people who keep order, and that's exactly what God has instructed governments to do. Romans 13 teaches us that. We love that. We, we hate sometimes to see. The corruption in our court system and people doing horrible crimes and getting off either free or on some light sentence. That that just, I hate that. But it happens. It doesn't happen with God. He always renders exact justice and at the exact time it should be rendered. And those are the things I want us to consider this morning. These things that teaches about the hard side of God. Historically speaking, he he gives us history. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve sin. They eat the forbidden fruit, and there are consequences for that. And that's one of the things we see in Genesis right off the bat. Every time there is sin, there is a consequence. Sin brings consequences, and they're never good. And some of those consequences God deals with and. We see his hard side, and we see his hard side with Adam and Eve. You get down to verse 14. The Lord says to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you more than all cattle. Well, what has he done? He's deceived Eve into eating the fruit. And because she was deceived, Adam showed up. She gave him the fruit, and he ate too. He wasn't deceived, but they both ate the fruit because of the the serpent's deception. Cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you'll go and dust you'll eat all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity, hatred, strife. I'll put that between you and the seed of the woman. And between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. You shall bruise him on the heel. 
Then to the woman, he said, I'll greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. So women, when you give birth and you hurt, whether that's coming for you in life as a young woman or that's something you look back on as one who's already given birth, you know this is where it started. Apparently, when God made human beings initially, Adam and Eve, there was no pain in childbearing. What a wonderful thought that is. Let's just have some more. It won't hurt. I wonder if that includes morning sickness and all the stuff that came in that nine months. I imagine that's all part of it. I would, I would think. Because when God finished the creation, what did he say? It's very good. He kept saying, it's good, it's good, everything was good. And then he finished it, Adam and Eve, able to bear children. He said, it's very good. And if it wasn't very good to bear children, Eve would have said, oh, well, now wait a minute, let's talk about this. No, something changed radically. The hardness of God is here. This is a judgment that he rendered, and we are still being reminded of sin every time a child is born. I hope that didn't sound bad, (laughs) but it's the pain. Then he says to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you'll eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you'll eat bread. Then until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, and your dust and to dust you shall return. Wow. That's the hardness of God. That's the judgment rendered against the serpent and against Eve and against Adam because of this first initial sin. And then we get to chapter 4. What happens in chapter 4? Abel's trying to get back on track and do right. And Cain, his brother, doesn't like that because he's judged to be righteous over him. And so Cain slays his brother. What does God say to Cain? Verse 10, God says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You'll be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. Well, it wasn't. He went on to have a wife and family and build a city, but he was a cursed man. God is obligated to take sin in hand. And we see in the very first few chapters of the Bible, that's exactly what it does. And it doesn't stop here. This is chapter 4. What happens in chapter 6? By the time we get to chapter 6, there's so much violence in the earth that God says, I'm going to wipe every human being out except for Noah and his family, those eight people. And that's exactly what God does. Now, apparently, according to chapter 6, it looks like he waits 120 years. That's another one of the things that God does. He's going to be hard, but he always gives opportunity for people to turn around. But nobody turned around in then 120 years apparently because when the flood came, there were only eight people on the ark. Noah and his family. And then they get off the ark and look what he says in chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Verse 5. Surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. God is telling Noah, all right, you're starting off new and fresh. 
But the thing that got everything messed up initially was the violence. So this is what I'm telling you. And it's just Noah and his three boys and their wives and Mrs. Noah, that eight of them are there. And God says, when somebody kills somebody else, I'm obliging you to kill the person who did the killing. You punish murder with killing. There's a difference between murder and killing. And God is telling Noah, my judgment has been hard on the world. I've wiped out a lot of people and now I'm passing on the authority of some degree of that judgment to to human beings to render judgment, to provide justice. And so you look back at this text and we understand that when somebody does a heinous crime and is punished with it, death, it goes back to God telling Noah, this is what I want you to do. Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. Obviously, it didn't end there. You know what comes next? Children of Israel eventually come to be through Abraham, and they are enslaved in Egypt. And what does God do to get them out of Egypt? What's he send? Three or four little plagues. One of those, I think, was tofu. No, I'm just kidding. You, you know how bad it was. Ten, ten plagues. What were those plagues? Do you remember any of them? How many can you name? Blood. Turned the Nile River to blood. The Nile River was their lifeblood, so to speak. Everything, all their economy came out of the Nile and their water, but it turned to blood. What's another one? Lice. Frogs. Boils. The hail that rained from the sky and was on fire, the, the boils on the cattle, the darkness, and then, of course, the last one, death of the firstborn. That was the hard side of God. Let my people go. No, I won't do it. All right, you're going to see the hard side of God, and they did. And Israel saw the hard side of God. And Israel was finally released after the death of the firstborn, and they got it in the wilderness. And what did they do continually? They grumbled, they murmured, they complained against Moses, they complained against God. And so what did God do about that? He's still the God of justice, still the God of judgment, still the God who makes corrections where corrections should be made. And so there was a time when they grumbled and he sent amongst them fiery serpents. Can you imagine? You're out in the wilderness and there's just snakes everywhere. You better watch your step because you're going to get bit. What was the... The cure for being bitten by a snake. You see, this is another thing about God. He's hard, but he provides relief with his hardness. He told Moses, you make a snake out of bronze and you put it on a pole. And when anybody gets bit by one of these serpents, that that bite is going to bring death unless they get to that pole and look upon that bronze serpent. That was a figure of Jesus Christ. Christ on the cross is pictured in that serpent on a pole. God is hard when he needs to be, but he also offers mercy to those who would repent. Wasn't just the serpents, pestilence, death. He struck his own people when they deserved to be struck. You may remember Korah, Dathan, and Abiram rebelled against Moses and against God. God said, you, you gather to me and everybody get away from those three families. And God had the earth to open up. And swallow them. What a terrifying idea. In fact that is. 
God uses his hard side, I would say, to put the fear of him in us. Not an unreasonable fear, but a fear that we understand. I, I can't help but think about Mrs. Woofter. Have I ever told you about Mrs. Woofter? She was my first grade teacher. Big woman. Big paddle. Rarely saw her smile. But she taught us. She trained us. She disciplined us. We loved her, but we also feared her. But the only time we feared her is when we weren't doing what we should have been doing. At no other time did we need to fear Mrs. Woofter because she was fair. And as first graders, as six-year-olds, we understood that. And we can understand that about God. He can be hard, but he's always fair. Sometimes he's more than fair. That's what mercy is all about. Well, the passage that Braden read for us is from the prophet Amos. And if you keep reading in Amos, because what he read there... Well, look at verse 2. Amos chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord does what from Zion? He roars. The Lord roars from Zion. And from Jerusalem, he utters his voice. And the shepherd's pasture grounds mourn. And the summit of Carmel dries up. This is scary stuff. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four. How many transgressions? Four. Not the first time did God bring this judgment. Oh, you stepped down the line, bam. Nope. Four transgressions. All right. Four's enough. Even in baseball, you get three strikes. But God says, I'm going to give you four. I'm not going to revoke its punishment because they threshed Gilead with implements of sharp iron. So I will send fire upon the house of Hazael. It will consume the citadels of Ben-Hadad. I will also break the gate bars of Damascus, cut off the inhabitant from the valley of Avon, and him who holds the scepter from Beth-Hadon. So the people of Aram will go exiled to Ker, says the Lord. Same thing in verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four. And he goes on to talk about how he's going to punish Gaza. Verse 9, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four. Tells us about how he's going to punish Tyre. For three transgressions of Edom and for four. Same thing with uh, Ammon, the sons of Ammon in verse 13. Same thing with Moab in chapter 2 and verse 1. Same thing with Judah, Judah, the people of God. In chapter 2 and verse 4, and Israel in chapter 2 and verse 6. For all these transgressions, God says, I'm coming down there. You've made me come down there, is what he's saying. Punishment. God is obligated to do that because he cannot look upon these things and not act and not respond. His nature is such that he must take sin in hand. And that's what he does, and that's what he does all the time. The book of Malachi, another one of the prophets... The last book of prophecy before we get to the New Testament as we have our Bible arranged. Read with me from the first chapter. This 
This is God talking to Israel through Malachi. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, oh boy, does that sound good to you? What kind of animals were the Israelites supposed to sacrifice? The best they had. The best they had. So go through the herd, pick out one that can't see. Let's give that one to God. That's what they were doing. When you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Why wouldn't they offer it to the governor? Because they know better. Governor wouldn't accept it. That's why God's asking this question. Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? God's asking this question of Israel about their sacrifices. Really? You're going to offer this and expect me to treat you kindly? Verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. What gates is he talking about? He's talking about the gates of the temple. Shut the gates. Don't let these people in here. They're not coming in here to worship me. Shut the gates. See, that's a huge difference from what David says. I was glad when they said to me, what? Let's go to the house of the Lord. That's David's spirit and attitude. And God here is saying, oh, I wish they'd just shut the gates. Now you think about what a tragedy that is. Because this is not long after what we're studying in Mike's class in the, on Sunday morning about them going to Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple. The temple's been rebuilt. This is the new temple that Ezra rebuilt. This is in the city that Nehemiah built those walls around. Everything's restored now. But the people have gotten so lazy spiritually And so selfish, whatever it is, that they're bringing God the lame and the blind. And God is saying, I'm not having it. I wish they'd just shut the gates. Just get somebody to shut those gates so you people don't come in here. i got to ask you. Do you ever think God looks at any of us in here when we assemble and says the same thing about us? On our phones. Now if you're on your phone reading the Bible, that's fine. But if you're checking Facebook while you're in here, how much different is that than offering up a blind calf to the Lord? Talking back and forth with each other? If you're asking questions like, hey, I didn't get that passage. What was that he said? Boy, that, that really speaks to me. That, what Jesus said there? That's, if that's what you're talking about, praise God. But if you're asking, what are we going to do when church is over? That's a lot like what Malachi is talking about here. God goes on to say this. Verse 11. From the rising of the sun even to the setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name. And a grain offering that is pure, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. He drops down to verse 14, or I drop down to verse 14. He says, Cursed is the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Of all times of the week, 
when we assemble, this is the time for reverence. Now, it's okay to, to laugh and smile at each other and, and enjoy one another's company. That's not irreverent. But when it's time to think about God, to put our focus on Him, don't offer that focus to something else in this world. I don't think it should just be practiced in here. There's a lot of times when we should practice this kind of dedication that God is talking about through Malachi. But especially in here. This is not the place for us to visit one another. Why am I saying these things? Because God has a hard side. And such things, I believe, will not go unanswered. Let's gather to worship the Lord. Let's worship Him the way God had intended them to do when He had to call down His people through what Malachi said. And this is, I know, this is Old Testament, but you get to the New Testament, what happens in Acts chapter 5? You remember Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Holy Spirit about some money that they had given to the church. Well, they made a donation to the church, but they lied about it. What happens? God strikes them down. What? I thought that only happened in the Old Testament. No, God struck them down. Why do you think he did that? What the text says at that point is fear came upon everybody. It's like God is saying, I'm still God. Sin is still an issue. You need to live with character. You need to live with honesty. You need to live with integrity. This is what I'm calling you to do through my son, Jesus Christ, who died for you. Don't you come before me lying about what you've offered. I'll strike you down. That's exactly what he did. A few chapters later, Herod Agrippa is before an assembly and he's all arrayed in some fancy silver flashy outfit and people say, oh, it's a God, it's not a man. And instead of correcting them, he just kind of goes on. Well, hmm, I'm a God. You remember what happened in Acts chapter 12? God strikes him with worms so that he dies. How'd you like to die by being eaten by worms? I'm telling you, God's telling us... <laughs> He's got a hard side. He loves you. But you better do what's right. One of the places we best see the hard side of God is the cross. I want you to think about that. When Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said that, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19. I'll start there at verse 19. Paul writes some long sentences. We're breaking in in the middle of one, but this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the memorial Jesus has given us to every Sunday, every Lord's Day, every first day of the week. Remember... Not the resurrection, 
Remember the sacrifice. You look at the cross and you see at once the love of God, the extreme, unlimited love of God, but you also see the hard side of God. That death of his own son is God's answer to sin. That's the hardness of God. Do not let his son out of it. When Paul started the letter to the church at Rome, he said, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is declared. And that's exactly how he does it. Because sin has to be paid for. My sin has to be paid for. Your sin has to be paid for. If God forgives me and doesn't pay for it, he is unrighteous. So he paid for it. He extends grace and mercy to me, but his son, he put on a cross. You can't see that and understand that and then call God hateful, ugly, mean. He's not hateful, he's not ugly, he's not mean. Ezekiel told us, chapter 18 of Ezekiel, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. No pleasure. He doesn't want us to die. When we get to Peter, Peter says he's, he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. As a matter of fact, let's wind this lesson up right now. Three conclusions. We could have some more, but I'm just going to have three. Number one, never forget to have reverence for God. This is what Malachi was talking about. Especially when we assemble to worship. Always have reverence for God. Let your behavior reflect reverence for God. Number two, take comfort in his justice. I hear a lot of things in the news about what China's doing. Oh, China's going to mess us up. They're going to do this and they're going to do that. Well, maybe they will. Maybe they won't. Maybe we deserve to have a little suffering Maybe that's part of God's justice as well. When you see the things coming out of America these days, and that's what foreign people see. They watch the, the movies and the TV, and they say, look at all that fornication going on. Look at all this bad language going on. Look at all this violence going on. That's all America. Several years ago when we lived in Leavenworth, the military army brought in a lot of folks from overseas, and we made some good friends from Pakistan. And when they first met us, I think they were very curious what they were going to find because they thought they knew what Americans were like based on every TV show and movie that goes overseas. And then they found out, oh, you guys are just regular people. We're not afraid of you. We'll let our children come and be with you. It's like it was, it was an awakening. Not because we're that wonderful, because what goes out over the airwaves and through the Internet is some bad stuff. And God will take that in hand. So talking about China, talking about Russia invading Ukraine, God is going to take care of the nations. That's why we read from Amos. What did God say? All those nations, even Judah and Israel, for three transgressions and for four, I'm coming down there. And it's the same thing today. So don't worry about China. Talk to God about it if you're upset about that. Don't worry about Russia. Don't worry about all the folks coming across the border. Talk to God about it. Pray for our leaders. By the way, how much can you do about any of that anyway? Nothing. Get up in the morning, make your bed, brush your teeth. Do something good with your life here. Something you can control.
So take comfort in God's justice. And number three, take advantage of your opportunity to repent. Let's close with Romans chapter 2. Talked about Romans 1, something Paul said there about the righteousness of God being revealed in the gospel. But here in chapter 2 of Romans, he writes this. We're breaking into a thought again, but here we go. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, old man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? What did he just say? The kindness of God does what? It leads you to repentance. It leads you to repentance. When this assembly is over and we sit down someplace to a meal, that meal is a reflection of the kindness of God. His generosity towards you and towards me because God doesn't have to provide food for us, but he does. When you walk around in the, in the rain and the cold, but you've got a nice jacket on or a coat or a hat, us bald guys need hats. Thank God that we have enough prosperity to provide the things that we need. When you get in your car and you close that door and the weather's outside and you're inside and you can adjust that thing to, to make it so warm in there, you've got to start shedding clothes. You've got wipers and headlights. You can even drive at night because they've invented headlights to put on cars. Did you know that? See, we take this stuff for granted. But the kindness of God is everywhere. Just look around. Open your eyes. Look in this place. Look at the people. Look at your brothers and sisters in Christ. What would our lives be like without one another? To me, you all are a reflection of the kindness of God. I get to enjoy you. I get to be here with you. I I get to see your face and hear your voices. Don't you love that? It's fantastic. I can't imagine what heaven's going to be like. It's so far beyond me, but I can't wait to be there. And I know when we get there, nobody's going to go, well, I sure miss this about living on earth. No, I don't think so. And this, this is a taste of it. This is the place, not, not, the, not the place, not the building, but I mean the church is the place where we don't have to worry about the hardness of God. And that's why we need to take the message of that cross to the world so others won't have to worry about the hardness of God because he's coming. Jesus said he was. There's an hour coming in which all who hear the voice of the Lord will come forth from the graves. Some to a resurrection wonder and righteousness and others to a resurrection of damnation behold the goodness and the severity of God so that's where we are this morning what will you do with what you know about God his kindness his goodness his grace his mercy but also his hardness if you're outside of the church you have no inheritance waiting you but the hardness of God I encourage you come to Jesus today
Let us talk to you about obeying the gospel. Let us talk to you about praying for your soul. Let us know how we can help you while we stand and sing the invitation song.